welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series Podcast, brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Raina Malik from University of Maryland talking about health literacy in urology. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for the opportunity to present on health literacy in urology. How much do our patients really understand? I'm Dr. Rina Malik. I am an assistant professor of surgery in the Division of Urology at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. I'm also the director of female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. Disclosures, I serve an advisory board for Eurovant. So What is health literacy? Well, it's defined by the Institute of Medicine as the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information and services that they need to make appropriate healthcare decisions. And why is health literacy an issue? Well, when we see our patients at the end of our visits, we want them to completely understand everything we've told them, give us a big thumbs up, and look something like this. But in reality, some of the times they leave our appointments looking like this. And what can we do about it? Well, just to give you kind of a background, 90 million people in the United States have inadequate written health literacy. And 21% of adults read below the sixth grade level, 21%. That's one in five people that come in your clinic. And who's at risk? Well, the largest at-risk group is patients above the age of 65. Also patients who are who are in poverty, who are minorities or immigrants, those who have a less than high school education, and people with chronic mental or physical health conditions, the people who really need to understand these things most. So in 2003, the National, um, the National Assessment of Adult Literacy uh, was actually conducted, and they reached out to 19,000 people in the United States and had them conduct 28 health literacy-related tasks. And they then defined health literacy based on this scale. Below basic was that they could understand a short set of instructions like NPO before midnight. Basic was that they could read a written pamphlet and give two reasons for screening a particular disease. Intermediate were to be able to look at a BMI scale and determine an appropriate height and weight. And proficient is that they can read a complex document and find the information necessary to define a medical term. And what did they find? Well, they found that 36% of adults were either below basic or basic health literacy. And we're often expecting them to be at a proficient health literacy level. But you can't always tell, even though there are these at-risk groups, in the below basic group, 10 to 13% were less than 65 years of age, 15% graduated from high school, and 13% were privately insured. In the below or basic literacy group, that went up to 37% had some high school education. That's what over one in three people. 52% only spoke English, and 54% had no physical or mental disabilities at all. And health literacy has real impact. It can affect the ability to navigate the healthcare system, figure out where you need to go, where you need to be, what doctor you need to see, identify chronic disease management. So take certain medications at certain times, uh, take do preventative healthcare measures, share information with their providers that's important. They don't know what they need to tell us. And so they might not tell us really important, valuable things. Uh, adopting health promoting behaviors like wearing seatbelts or brushing regularly or flossing. Um, And then lastly, acting on health-related news. So they get information, now what do they do with it? They don't know. And so if they have poor health literacy, it can affect any of these things. 
And ultimately, this has a big impact on healthcare outcomes, healthcare costs, and the quality of care these patients receive. And so this is why we all need to care about health literacy. Also, now more and more people are going online to identify healthcare resources. And as you know, there's so much fake news everywhere. Well, a systematic review found that low health literacy or low health literacy related tasks, um, like having a, having a less than high school education uh, was negatively related to the ability to evaluate and trust online health information. And this is a big problem because you know everyone is on Google trying to find healthcare information. And what else is associated, as I said, with decreased preventative measures, the inability to take and read medications, compliance with your treatment plan, um, and also it increases their hospitalization and emergency room usage, again, relating to costs. It decreases their physical and psychological health and increases mortality. There have been so many studies on this topic to show you that this really has a true impact. And when patients who have basic or below basic health literacy, when they self-assess their overall health, they, as you can see, it goes, it goes increasingly more and more percentage of people who have poor and fair and good have actually worse worse healthcare outcomes. They feel like their overall health is worse because they have, which is correlated with their low health literacy. So what kind of surveys or how can you identify someone is uh, has low health literacy? Well, there are several surveys. The two most common ones are the Rapid Estimate of Adult Literacy in Medicine, which is a medical word recognition and pronunciation test. Takes about three minutes, super easy to administer. Uh, the Test of Functional Health Literacy in Adults, or TOFLA, goes through reading comprehension and takes about 22 minutes. The short form takes about seven minutes. So again, these are additional things that you can use in your clinic to estimate health literacy. In urology, um, this is, there's a number of studies that have been done on health literacy, and this was one where they looked at two low-income general medicine clinics in Virginia. They looked at the comprehension of common prostate cancer terms in patient educational materials, and then they assessed their comprehension in face-to-face -face interviews. And so here you can see that 87% of the population was African-American. The household, median household income was $16,000 and 27% were illiterate or had less than a third grade education. And only 20% were able to calculate correctly a fraction or a percent. And you'll see why this is important. Um, this is the, the results of this study, and here the blue is that they correctly understood the term, yellow is they didn't understand the term, and gray is they misinterpreted the term. And you can see things like sex drive, vaginal intercourse, bowel hab habits, uh, urinary function, and incontinence, which is a word we use all the time, only 5% of people knew the word. So this is you know, really important. We talk, we use this word all the time. And then they ask people to identify, this is not the exact picture they use, uh, organs on an organ system. And only 22% were able to identify the prostate, 65% were able to identify the bladder, but only 84% were able to identify the penis. That's alarming. Um, and this is some of the transcripts from the study where they asked them questions like, what are, you know, what is words you've heard for urinary function. Oh, bowel movement. What does the rectum do? It pees, urinates. Um, 
What have you heard? What are other words for bowel habits? Men using men, men going with men. And what happens when a man is incontinent? He's not able to satisfy his woman. So you can see these are common words we use and they're very confusing. And here is the CDC prostate cancer screening guide. And you can see here, they describe the lifetime risk of prostate cancer in percentages and fractions, which again, only 21% of people couldn't identify this in a low income general medical clinic. And here they, again, use the words impotence and incontinence. Again, words that these patients don't understand. So another study looked at the efficacy of the AUA symptom index, which we use all the time in our clinics for patients with low literacy. It was in Atlanta, Georgia at Grady Memorial Hospital. They took 300 men. They gave them the AUA symptom score, and then they readministered re-administered it with a healthcare provider. They est estimated health literacy using the realm and 78%, only 78% of people were able to completely self-administer the AUA symptom index. Here you can see there's 300 people, 85% were black um, and only 16% of people understood all of the AUA symptom index. So even the surveys that we're using are not working so great in our patients. And then they looked at uh, this on a multivariate analysis. And you can see here that if they had less than a 12th grade education or a middle school or elementary school uh, realm score, their odds ratio went significantly higher as to their poor understanding of the AUA symptom index. Another study looked at a multimedia version where patients got the traditional version or a multimedia version which had colored and assistance um, and, and they could have it read to them. And what they found, and then they again got it readministered to get a gold standard score. And they found that those who got the multimedia version had less errors. So this is symptom errors here. And you can see in the total cohort, this is about a 45% decrease in, in a symptom score error. Uh, and with health literacy patients who are low health literacy, it's significantly improved, over 50, nearly 50% improved uh, their symptom score errors. So this is the kind of intervention that you can use to really help patients in your clinics. There's also a number of studies that have looked at a variety of things. Uh, this first study here looked at patients who, um, who, were, uh, who were diagnosed with prostate cancer and assessed their prostate cancer knowledge. And they found that their prostate cancer knowledge was associated, lower prostate cancer knowledge was associated with low health literacy with a significant Pearson correlation co uh, coefficient. They also looked at another group, looked at patients who had radical cystectomy and the development of minor complications after radical cystectomy. And you could see here that high health literacy was associated with a lower risk of complications also, patients who need to get cystoscopic surveillance in bladder cancer uh, are more likely to be compliant, 80.5% versus 56.5% uh, with surveillance if they have bladder cancer. And in this group, they looked at patients with prostate cancer and assessed their mental well-being, and they found that patients who had higher health literacy had a better mental well-being. And what does that mean? Well, we may actually improve patients who have lower literacy, uh, their quality of life, if we have some more supportive interventions in these patient populations. 
Moving on, patient educational materials. We use these all the time, right? We hand out pamphlets to our patients and the NIH, the AMA, and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recommends that these are written to a fourth to sixth grade reading level. Is that, is that even doable? Is that something that we, we are doing? Well, this is a study that looked at the readability assessment of online urology patient education materials. And I can tell you that none of them are even below an 11th grade reading level. So the large majority of our population, remember 20% can't read below a sixth grade reading level. Well, they're not gonna be able to understand those really fancy patient materials that you're giving them. Um, this is one that the AUA makes. It's the Overactive Bladder Low Literacy Brochure. Um, and this is at a sixth grade reading level. I actually have this brochure. It is very basic. And this is an example of the finding here on OAB. And this is an example of a reading grade level at 14th grade reading level about stress urinary incontinence compared to a seventh grade reading level. So you can see it is shorter. It uses much simpler terms. It doesn't say increase abdominal pressure because they're not going to understand that. Um, it doesn't talk about uh, behavior. It doesn't talk about uh, a weakened urethra. Uh, so it makes it, it makes it a little bit easier for the patient to read. Uh, looking at the readability of patient information pamphlets in urogynecology, they found that, again, the large majority of these were around a 10 to 12th grade reading level, and the AUA was between a 6th to 12th grade reading level. But again, that 6th grade reading level was that one pamphlet um, for overactive bladder low literacy pamphlet. We actually looked at the questionnaires, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction questionnaires, uh, readability for urinary incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, overactive bladder, and BPH. And we looked at a number of different questionnaires and we found that there was only three questionnaires that were even close to the uh, to the readability that is required for the lower, you know, to, for all patients to understand. And so these questionnaires that we're putting so much stock in, our patients can't even understand them. So how are we using them for research and to uh, to evaluate symptom scores when we really the patients aren't understanding them? So this is another area that we need a lot of work on. Uh, moving on to health literacy in my subspecialty, female pelvic medicine, looking at urogynecologic terminology. This was looking at 376 women who came to a gynecology clinic. They were 92% white, 55% had a greater than college level education. So this was a highly educated population. And we found that 25% knew the terms urinary incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, and pelvic floor disorder, and 18% knew none. Again, this is each individual, uh, each individual term, pelvic floor dysfunction was the least understood and urinary incontinence was the highest understood. But again, these are complex, just the terms themselves are complex for patients. Moving on, what about disease understanding, particularly in that older population? This was a, a focus group study looking at 36 women, 69% have greater than a high school education. So again, a pretty literate uh, group and when they measured health literacy, all of them had adequate health literacy. And what they found was that immediate recall was good for urinary incontinence, but not so great for pelvic organ prolapse and not great for both patients who had both. Follow-up recall did improve, um, probably because patients had some time to review it. But what this tells you is that you know even with high literacy levels, pelvic floor disorders are pretty complex, um, and 
in, as, as describing these diseases in their own words, people kind of talk about a rectocele repair being cutting and reattaching the vagina, a sling being to tighten the bladder. Um, and really they couldn't understand what the treatments were, but they called it just plans to fix it. Uh, and moving on, this study looked at another group of 20 females. Uh, again, another highly literate group. The average score on the TOFLA was 93. And they wanted to see what their experience was before and after the physician visit. And prior to the visit, they really thought that the bladder was the cause of all their symptoms. They had received an incorrect diagnosis previously. A lot of people felt that there was a misconception due to their problem due to aging and a feeling of lack of control over the problem. After their visit, they really, they talked about, you know, uh, I think I have a hormone situation or I didn't even hear my diagnosis. I don't remember the diagnosis. So again, they understood their treatments, but really didn't understand the the diagnosis or why they were getting treated. They did have relief because they found that it was not as bad as they feel uh, they feared. And it was relief because they could actually do something to gain control of the problem. Um, and this is in Spanish-speaking people who had a marginal health literacy, and 72% had a less than $30,000 income. And the pre-visit theme, similar to that other study, found that I feel a giant ball, or they felt uh, desperation helplessness. They felt like they're not a woman anymore, and they had complete reliance on the physician. So whatever they say, I'll do. And this is common in certain uh, low literacy patients, uh, is that they'll just do whatever you tell them, whether that's the you know whether that's right for them or not. Uh, and during the encounter, they really sought the physician's opinion. They were very scared of any sort of uh, intervention like surgery or pessaries and often turned to religion for comfort. Uh, physicians did tend to avoid medical terminology, uh, but there was a lack of Spanish profici proficiency in, in, uh, in physicians. So here's an example of a translated um, uh, person is that you take out the pee before in the bathroom and the problem with frequency that you feel in your bladder um, and then so it doesn't really make a lot of sense if you're an English-speaking person and someone's talking to you like that so presumably the Spanish-speaking person is also having difficulty understanding them uh, and they again emphasize pelvic floor dysfunctions as not being life-threatening. So again, similar to our other group, poor, great understanding of the treatment, but a poor understanding of the diagnosis. The names are difficult. I don't know if it's a problem with the urine or my uterus. Um, they couldn't really describe the diagnosis or multiple, uh, multiple diagnoses, which is very common in pelvic floor disorders. Um, and then really allowing the physician to make decisions. So major concepts are that they lack knowledge about their condition before and even after the physician encounter. So we're not doing a great job um, and they're overwhelmed with how much we tell them. So even I feel this way. I find a patient who has incontinence. We tell them about their overactive bladder, their mixed incontinence, their prolapse, and they're like, you know, they leave the office like what stunned about what they should do next and tend to place complete trust in their physician. And that's not in all groups, but certainly in patients in this population felt that they could completely trust their physician. Um, looking at another pelvic floor disorder, such as overactive bladder, this was 33 women who had 90-minute focus groups. And what they found was six preliminary themes that people didn't really understand why they had OAB. They were confused with other pelvic floor disorders, like uh, my bladder fell and they had to tie it up. So prolapse, presumably. Uh, they didn't understand the diagnostic test. They had a lack of um, 
they had a, a stuck a wand in the bladder. There was uh, misconceptions on the definition of incontinence. And again, miscommunication between the patient and the provider about Kegel exercises. So this is obviously hard to explain, but just squeeze as hard as down there as you can and, and make the muscles firm, which is not a Kegel exercise and not a great way to explain it. Um, so they're, they're having a hard time really understanding these concepts. Uh, and then when you categorize them, there was frequent misconceptions and miscommunication. So their patients are not really, they're getting, they're, they're talking about OAB meds and they're saying, you know, you get to the point where you can't even say the next word. Your mouth is so dry, it won't move. And they're scared because they didn't understand that that's a, a common side effect of anticholinergic medications. So ultimately they're dissatisfied. They, they want better, we need better management of their expectations and better communication with the aging population. So really this is at the key. If your patients are dissatisfied and they're not expressing their discomfort to you, they're gonna have poorer outcomes. They're, they're gonna continue having more expensive healthcare visits and finding other doctors that can help them. And you know, doing a better job on our end of health literacy can actually help them reduce the amount of time they're spending on their health care, then reduce the amount of costs they're spending on their incontinence products, um, and, and, and really help their quality of life. So how can we do better? Well, you can screen the patient. So I did mention those other things. Those are more for research. So there's a couple easier ways to do it in your clinic. Uh, you can do brief questions to identify patients. There are three brief questions. Um, how often do you help someone? You ask them these simple questions. How often do you have someone help you read hospital materials? How confident are you filling out medical forms by yourself? And how often do you have problems learning about your medical condition because of difficulty understanding written information? Uh, and then the newest vital sign is one that you can print out. It's made by Pfizer. They basically read this nutrition label and have to answer questions, and then it's scored, and it gives you a literacy score that way. So what are some red flags? One is they can't explain their medications to you. They have literally no questions at all. And a good thing to ask patients, instead of saying, what, instead of saying, do you have any questions? You can say, what questions do you have? It's a very simple difference, but if you say, what questions do you have? It allows you to say, I'm expecting you to ask me a question. Um, they can't really fill out the registration form. So I often know I have some surveys I give to all my patients and if they can't fill them out, I'm primed. I know they, they're really gonna need a little bit simpler of an explanation and I need to be weary of these other red flags. They may skip tests or referrals because they don't understand why they have to do them. They'll frequently miss appointments and they'll have kind of odd behaviors. So very often I find patients are angry or hostile um, or they're joking a lot uh, because they're trying to cover up that they don't really get it or they're just really, really quiet. So you talk to them, there's zero questions, they don't say much. So just being weary of all these things can really be helpful in your day-to-day -day practice. You can also use technology. I'm going to go over some examples of how people have done this successfully. You can adapt currently available materials. You can create new visual aids or written materials, or you can make or use videos uh, for your patients. So this is an example of an educational brochure that was used for vaginal pessaries. There's a 58 women who went to a pessary clinic and they either got standard oral communication that they were already getting, or they also got a brochure. And what they found was that those who had the brochure had increases in happiness, confidence level, uh, reduce, less risk of the pestry falling out, vaginal estrogen use, and less uh, understanding of discharge and UTIs that was sustained up to three months after they originally got the brochure.
And, um, and so this is really valuable because it's not just that they take this information and they, they're, it's not helping them initially, it's also helping them even along the time they have the pessary. Another study looked at sacral nerve stimulation education using an educational video. They took actually five focus groups and they had the, and they had gave them a 16 minute educational video or a standard manufacturer's video about sacral neuromodulation. And they did a pre and post video questionnaire to assess their knowledge. And what they found was that it generally improved in almost all domains. Here you can see post-op restrictions, device maintenance, general information, device efficacy, um, expectations, recovery, surgery, anatomy. The only thing that did wasn't as well done on the manufacturer's video as the educational video was the side effects and complications, which I would argue are very important because if people don't know what these can be when they get a side effect or a complication, they're not happy. And so in these, in these cases, the educational video did better than the manufacturer video. But overall, the knowledge improved significantly in all groups. So having a video, something as simple as here's a link to a video that you can go watch at home or giving them the CD. I don't know if everyone has CD drives anymore, but um, you know that can be helpful for them in, in getting some knowledge uh, about whatever procedure you're going to do. You can also improve communication. So you don't want to assume that patients understand any basic basic working knowledge of how their ejaculatory ducts work, how their bladder works, how their prostate works. They don't really understand all that. Um, you want to make sure you use simple language. So when you use medical terminology, make sure you define the term. Slow down. So make sure you take your time, talk to them slowly, draw things out, use models, um, and include important family members in the discussion. If someone is really having a hard time, I'll encourage them to come back for a second visit, bring somebody with them, bring their family, bring their best friend, someone who can write down notes, someone who can make sure that they don't miss anything, because that's really helpful. And then use a teach back method. So just say, okay, what did we talk about today? What are you gonna do when you get home? And that simply can help you understand if they really got what you told them. Uh, so thank you very much. You can reach me by email or on Twitter or Instagram uh, if you have questions or concerns. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.